Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined by Bobby Burton and C.J. Vogel. And guys, let's jump right into it. There's a lot to talk about. Of course, Texas had a couple of visitors on campus this weekend, portal visitors. What's the latest on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the two the two young men that were on campus for official visits were Jamari Caldwell, University of Houston defensive lineman, uh, we've talked about him before. We were uh, uh, mentioned him as visiting last week. Uh, he came in, and uh, you know, from all accounts, he had a great visit, and he meshed with what Bo Davis wants at defensive tackle. Bo Davis isn't going to just take anybody. Uh, 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 Caldwell lists at 6'1", 325 pounds, originally from Newbury, South Carolina. Spent a couple of years at two different junior colleges before going and playing at Houston for for two years. Had a tremendous uh, campaign last year, CJ. Uh, tell us a little bit about Caldwell. Then we'll talk about CJ Daniels as well, uh, who made the official visit to Texas this weekend. Yeah, for a team like Texas that is losing a lot of production and talent on the interior of their defensive line, this is a piece that would make a seamless transition into a new era of Texas interior defensive line uh, in the SEC. We've talked about his ability to eat space, eat blockers, be productive in the run game, but it's the passing game as well where he's able to get after the passer. Six and a half sacks this season, two of which came against Texas and the interior of the Texas offensive line. So uh, Texas is very familiar with him. They know all about his strengths, his weaknesses. They've plotted against them. They've schemed against them. Uh, that didn't necessarily work out a whole lot this year when the two teams set off. So uh, Jamar Caldwell, a very important piece should Texas be able to land him uh, because it helps a seamless move into the SEC from the talent and production standpoint that we saw in 2023 to what we will see in 2024 uh, with Texas really implementing a brand new, uh, you know, kind of group of interior defensive linemen uh, for next season. He would be a huge piece to help make that a very seamless transition. I, I, Texas couldn't want more. Um, he may be the top interior defensive lineman in the portal. So, and it, it, my understanding, it is Texas at Oregon right now, and he is on the cusp of a decision. So this is something we could hear in the next 10 hours, two hours, 48 hours. He's, he's thought to be really close to making a decision. Uh, the Longhorns start school the 16th of January. Um, uh, I believe players are expected to report, I believe, on the 14th. Uh, and yes, I believe he only has one year left. Uh, Gus, unless he wants to be a grad, uh, a grad player, but th this is a guy that's going to be probably one and done. I think that's a, a safe assessment uh, for the University of Texas and for Jamari Caldwell. Uh, you know, I look at it, and we talked about this CJ at the outset about how Texas wanted to be strategic and surgeon-like in the portal. This fits exactly what Steve Sarkeesian's talking about. Not only Caldwell, but Andrew Makuba, three-year starter at Clemson, Matthew Golden two-year starter at receiver for University of Houston, 
Trey Moore, 14 and a half sacks, two-year starter at uh, UTSA. All of these guys have a lot of starts under their belt, and they have a lot of production under their belt. It's a combination where I think Sark and the guys are really trying to uh, push this. And I, I could not agree more here with Bobby Vitronic because, look, you don't want a guy that can – Jamari Caldwell's a guy that can eat 30 to 40 high-quality snaps a game that would have gone to a younger guy that may or may not be ready, that needs to get his body ready or more ready. That's that's the reality, and it's a big one, especially when you do it with a player that has plus potential. It would be one thing if you're just putting enough. Now, not no offense to Trill Carter, I think he's a good player, but Trill Carter is a different category than Jamari Caldwell. That's that's my point. You're actually upping the ante there, uh, which I think is uh, you know in, incredible uh, by the University of Texas to be able to find somebody and do that. Now, the other wide, the other player that came in over the weekend is CJ Daniels, the wide receiver out of Liberty. Uh, Daniels uh, has, you know, look at him. Uh, he's 6'2", 200, originally from Lilburn's Parkview, uh, Georgia. He was recruited by Hugh Freeze to Liberty. He visited Auburn, where Hugh Freeze is the current head coach now, over the weekend on Friday. He also visited Florida on Saturday. He came in for a day visit to Texas yesterday. Uh, the issue here is Texas is looking at a number of wide receivers in the transfer portal right now. Not only are they looking at C.J. Daniels, they're also looking at uh, Silas Bolden, out of a wide receiver out of Oregon State, uh, who said that the Longhorns have now offered him a scholarship uh, as well. There's also Dorian Singer out of USC, who was originally from Arizona, and now the Johnny Nansen Ty there, the former uh, Arizona assistant that now is the new linebackers coach at Texas. There's a tie there. And then also uh, uh, LaJonte Weister out of uh, Florida Atlantic, who CJ is very, very high on uh, as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. That's at wide receiver. Tight end, a couple of different names to watch for that we're monitoring right now. One is Holden Stays, who has committed to Tennessee at this point. Texas was going to go back and kick the tires if JT Sanders elected to go pro. Sanders elected to go pro. That's one. Then also you have Jordan Jolly out of Connecticut and Ben Yurisik uh, out of Stanford. Yurisik was a uh, Mackey Award uh, preseason finalist or preseason award candidate uh, at Stanford. Did not have a great year this year uh, for Troy Taylor's system or offensive system. He had a better year under David Shaw. He's more of an inline tight end, by the way, CJ. Uh, which is something that the Longhorns are looking for as well. So uh, a lot of news right now on a number of different fronts, but I think Texas is going to try to get Caldwell, try to figure out the receiver situation, and try to try to nab one of these tight ends to uh, 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 help uh, assuage the fears of losing JT Sanders. One last piece uh, that we're, we've neglected to mention, and here we are five, six minutes into the show, Jade Barron. Uh, the young man out of Pflugerville that uh, could turn pro has already accepted his infight to the senior bowl, right? Uh, did not have a great year uh, health-wise at Texas. Definitely had a good year overall on the field, but maybe showed some weaknesses at times. Uh, CJ saying he was 50-50 as to whether or not he will return. Uh, we also haven't heard from Adonai Mitchell, the wide receiver, uh, whether or not he is headed pro. We do expect him to head, head pro at this point in time. Again, he needs, neither of those guys need to make decisions 
before all, uh, before January 15th because they're not going in the transfer portal. One more note. The transfer portal officially closes for Texas today. Now, it actually closed on Saturday. But remember, Texas has 48 hours to officially put names into the transfer portal. So we could see one or two more trickle in this afternoon or later today. We will see if anybody elected to do so at the university. Hi, guys. Well, obviously, lots of portal news going on. There's no doubt about that. But what about high school recruiting? Any any new offers, anything like that? Um, you know, there's been a <laughs> CJ, you go ahead. <laughs> Man, I know Texas uh, recently extended an offer to five-star 2025 safety uh, Fahim Delaney, uh, I, I believe, out of Georgia. Immediately told 24-7 Sports that he hoped to get down to Texas. He wanted to see what Texas was cooking up. Uh, that's what you'll expect to see a whole lot more of from a national side of things. Bobby, we've talked about, you know, just how shiny Texas is nationally now. You know, it's it's not one of those things where, you know, there's there's potential, there's buzz. Texas, you know, could be a place I want to visit down the road. You've seen what it's like when Texas is good on the field. You've seen what it's like when Texas is winning football games. The attraction is a different level. And we're seeing that now with some of these 2025 prospects. Uh, I <coughs> Excuse me. I actually spoke with Jonah Williams, the five-star safety at a, or linebacker out of Galveston Ball last night. Told me there's a chance that he makes it down to uh, the January 20 or 19th Junior Day. That wasn't always the case with Jonah Williams. He hasn't always been, you know, someone that was uh, really receptive to getting out to Texas, despite having visited a whole lot uh, previously. That is big. Uh, we're obviously, con you know, concocting a list right now of of big-time visitors. You look at the linebacker list specifically, Riley Pettijon out of McKinney, uh, Elijah Bo Barnes out of Dallas Skyline, and now Jonah Williams, a potential uh, potential maybe. That's huge. You know, you talk about going into the SEC and getting these prospects at key positions. That's what it is. Winning on the field certainly helps, and it's going to springboard the 2025 recruiting, and we're, we get to see a first taste of it uh, in just over a week and a half. We were asked in last night's chat if we expected any commitments uh, for Texas during the junior day. And I think that, that we can expect some. Who they might be is a different story. One of them might be, I don't know, uh, Jordan Davison out of Santa Ana Mater Day, the running back that Tashard Choice has kind of pinpointed. Or it could be Marcus Harris, another wide receiver out of Mater Day as well. There are a number of guys that Texas has kind of pinpointed that could accelerate their decisions, which is different than in year, years past. Uh, CJ, you used a good uh, vernacular there. You used a good word. It's a shiny program. It's like you're selling a new car versus you got this 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 uh, one that you got to. It's, it's an old beater that you got to kind of put lipstick on a pig. Yep. Te Texas is not putting lipstick on a pig right now. They're trying to showcase their brand new car, um, and so I, I feel like um, there's there's those. I, I think there's some. You know, look. There's a couple of defensive linemen that might pull the trigger earlier uh, as well, which could be huge. Uh, given uh, that it shouldn't be surprising in some ways because, uh, you know, it shouldn't be surprising because Bo Davis has developed a uh, history of really knocking them dead. And, multiple and, draft picks last Multiple year. draft picks in multiple years consecutively. He's, he's clearly got a path and a plan for these guys. Um, and so I, I feel like Texas right now uh, sitting pretty on a number of uh, situations uh, as it relates to recruiting. 
And Bobby, one 2025 guy that's already in the fold is KJ Lacey. And I actually spoke with him last night. He's going to be visiting two times in the next three weeks, uh, but not for Junior Day. He's not coming in for Junior Day. He's actually going to be heading to Austin this weekend. Going to take that Junior Day weekend off, and then he will be back with Ryan Williams the following weekend for his official visit. Uh, says that he's 100% firm with his commitment to Texas, but did tell me that Auburn, Bama, Oregon, and Texas A&M are still coming after him pretty hard right now. But other than that, he said that he's looking forward to get down to Austin the next over the next three weeks, two times over the next three weeks, and that yeah. uh, he's really interested to see what happens with Ryan Williams there. He that's that's breaking. Bo, Bo, Blake Monroe just broke a little news, fellas. I don't know if y'all <laughs> noticed that. Just been a while in there. KJ Lacey making two visits to Austin in the next three weeks. That's big time. Good, good stuff, Blake. Good stuff, buddy. Go down. All right, Bobby. Well, before we move on, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about John Donovan and the Longhorn Wealth Management. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell you what, John has been a good friend of the program. Thank you to our sponsor, John Donovan, president of Longhorn Wealth Magic Management Group. John is a proud UT grad and shares his Longhorn passion with his wife and six siblings, all of whom are UT grads. Can you imagine the bill for that these days compared to back when John and I went to school? John's a certified financial planner who has spent more than 30 years providing investment, insurance, retirement, and estate planning services and solutions to his clients. John has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas, Texas board member, and it is, it is his love for UT that inspired him to dedicate his firm to serving his fellow UT alums and all UT employees. Uh, for a free 90-minute consultation to explore how Longhorn Wealth can serve you and your loved ones, please give John Donovan and his team a call at 972-707-4900 or visit him at longhornwealth.net. That's 972-707-4900. Thanks, John. All right, guys. Well, we got plenty of questions and there's plenty of time for you to get your questions in, so please do so. And uh, let's just jump right into it, guys. Uh, we'll just start here at the top. And uh, let's go to Christopher Weatherford, since we've been talking about recruiting. He says, good morning from Colbert, Oklahoma. What is one portal edition and one high school edition that you guys are the most excited about? Ooh, I, I really like Trey Moore. I like what he brings to the table. Watching his film is exciting. He's a guy that knows how to get to the quarterback. It's a, it's a position where Texas, I think, is deep at, but not over the top talently, uh, you know, from a talent perspective. Uh, you, you know, when you talk about creating negative plays, getting into the court or into the, the secondary or into the backfield, excuse me, and really being able to put opposing teams behind the chains, Texas hasn't been good at that over the last couple of seasons. They've gotten pressure, they haven't gotten home. This is a, a potential addition that really helps boost the overall production of this Texas defense next year. So I'm really excited for Trey Moore. I, I really think that is a big one. And then over the last week and a half or so, my mood has completely switched on Ryan uh, Ryan Wingo. He's that number one guy for me in the 2025 class. I cannot wait to see him get to campus, uh, especially with a void now at wide receiver. I feel like he could be a early contributor, uh, early, you know, almost immediately upon entering campus. CJ, that's interesting. I got to ask you a question. What did that appearance at the Army or at the All American game down in San Antonio kind of sway you? Did he just, he looked like an alpha uh, essentially to you? 
He didn't. And, and I know those, you know, exhibition all-star game, you know, environments are set up a little differently, but in those one-on-one situations where it's best on best, you know, best receivers versus, you know, the best cornerbacks and defense backs in the country, that's not necessarily just a, you know, let's just run through it thing. Those That's pride. You know, that's, I'm an All-American. I deserve to be here. I want to come out and show to everybody why I belong here. And Wingo was, you know, seemingly never guarded tightly. Like, very rarely was he contested with any of the uh, uh, defensive backs, <coughs> excuse me, on campus or at the camp. I thought he was tremendous. Uh, it, he was running away from everybody. He had big body, big receiving uh, range as well. Bobby, we talked about it. His one reception that we both watched in the game, he had two guys draped all over him and dragged both five yards. That's a grown man play. I, I think he's going to be a special talent whenever he gets to Austin. That's more meaningful too, CJ, because you didn't just see the the game in San Antonio. You were down at the practices in Orlando as well, uh, doing the the grunt work there and and saw a lot of good receivers, not yeah. just one. I mean, they're they're those games, the one thing they they do with those games, they litter them with playmakers at receiver. Uh, there is no two ways about it. And for Wingo to stand out as one of those guys to you, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, my portal guy, I, I got to be honest, it, it's if Jamari Caldwell comes aboard uh, because I just – I think he's critical, uh, absolutely critical to this Texas team. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially it, with the departure of Trill Carter along with Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, uh, they lack the adult, uh, as Bobby Batronic put it, he helps bridge that gap potentially that is unbridgeable otherwise. I mean, I really, I want to see him take those snaps and I I want him to be a plus player in so doing. Uh, I think it's huge in that regard. Um, As far as players, I got to say Colin Simmons. I mean, look, people, I think that a lot of people have wondered, is he deserving of his ranking, et cetera, because he's not the prototypical size. He, he's not the prototypical size, but he is just so highly productive. So, so, so highly productive. And really, I mean, I, that's my guy. Uh, that Him or Xavier Filsamine are the two guys for me uh, for Texas in the high school ranks. I do want to add this. I have no idea. I've been all the way through the state of Oklahoma multiple di- different ways. I have no clue where Col- Colbert, Oklahoma is. So if somebody <laughs> wants to tell me that. Uh, let me know because you said you were from Colbert, Oklahoma. I have no clue where that is. Well, Bobby, that's probably because the population, according to Google, is 1,100. Somebody <laughs> in a smaller town than me. I can't believe it. <laughs> got, a, got a Longhorn fan even in Colbert, Oklahoma. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this next one here is a super chat from Patrick Page. And thank you, Patrick. He says, is the Texas Junior Day invite only? Yeah. Absolutely. And the invites have been going out over the last week and a half. Uh, There will be more invites going out, you know, in the next, what is it, week and a half as well. So uh, over the last 30 days or so, Texas has been inviting 2025 prospects that they, you know, hope to recruit, hope to get to know a little bit and obviously want to see in person to get a good evaluation on uh, body metrics, everything along the lines of that. Uh, Right now, really good showing on the list. Uh, that we've compiled right now. I think one of the names that will really stand out down the road is 
2025 Lancaster wide receiver Emmanuel Choice, who will be making it down to Austin. He's a name who not necessarily has the biggest offer list at the moment, but it will be. He will be a player in the state of Texas at the wide receiver position, uh, one that Texas is getting on campus early. Uh, I, I cannot wait to really go down this list and, and, and start, you know, showing off just who all they uh, have coming in on the night on the 20th. And then Gade cheats with the super chat. And obviously we talked about new high school offers, but he says, have y'all touched on Silas Bolden getting offered by the way, Gage, thank you for the super chat. Um, yes, uh, we did touch on it right at the outset. Uh, it was one of the things that we mentioned. Uh, Texas brought in not only CJ Daniels over the week or not only Jamari Caldwell over the weekend, but also wide receiver uh, from Liberty CJ Daniels. Texas is monitoring a number of wide receivers in the portal right now. I don't know that they're all in on C.J. Daniels unless they just had a great visit this weekend. They're also monitoring Dorian Singer, who has a tie. He's now at USC. Uh, He was at Arizona a year ago. So Johnny Nansen, the new uh, uh, linebackers coach at at, at Texas who comes over from Arizona, knows him. They're also uh, talking to LeJonte Weister, a a guy that – you know, looks like he shot out of a cannon a little bit, a fun to got fun, fun to watch guy uh, at Florida Atlantic. There could be others. Uh, we are waiting to see if there's anybody else that played on New Year's Day that has uh, six more uh, that, that has this additional time. Otherwise, people, we will be waiting to see if anybody comes out in May, because just about all of these guys should be done, except for Michigan and Washington after today. Yep. Then going and back to done, they should be entered into the portal. Excuse me. You're good, Bobby. And then going back to the junior day for a second, Kabir has a follow-up question. He says, what does the junior day consist of exactly? You know, it's changed over the years. It used to just be an informational session. Now it's go get geared up, you know, and take pictures and, <laughs> and media, social media type stuff. Uh, there's also a presentation to the parents separately uh, or the guardians. There's also... Uh, informational sessions. There's a, uh, a a Mac used to do this where it was a player consortium. He would put three people up on the dais, uh, three current players up on the dais and parents and players, uh, recruits could ask those players questions about what it's like to be at Texas. Um, there is a number of positional meetings with your position coach. How do I fit with the Longhorns? Uh, that is something that I've been told works exceptionally well uh, for Texas. And then obviously that, you know, the whole uh, have a lunch, have a breakfast, whatever, whatever they've got set up there. Uh, It's just a get to know you as much as anything, because this is for a lot of these players, not all of them, because some of them have already visited for games. This will be for a lot of them, the most extended time they've spent with the Texas staff. And I will say this, some of those guys that are coming from out of state, it won't just be a one-day visit. So remember that. They may take a little unofficial tour of the university the day before and meet with some coaches to clear way to meet with – so others can meet with other coaches the day after. So be aware of that. CJ, you have anything to add? I, I Just real quick, I think it'll be interesting if Texas does do a player panel, who they throw up there. Yes, uh, yeah. Because over the years past, you know, I, I know Bijan was a guy that they would they would parade up there and – Recruits would love it because it's Bijan Robinson. It was a five-star. It was a national player of of a very high caliber. You know his obvious personality would light up the room. He was very uh, approachable, easy to talk to. 
Texas has great players. I'm not sure if they have anybody right now that kind of fits that national, uh, you know, kind of view as a Bijan Robinson would. So that would be interesting to see who they toss up there. Uh, you know, you want a guy that represents the university well, a leader in the program as well, but also somebody that players knowing can relate to. So I'll be eager to see just, you know, who they throw up there if, if they do a player panel at all. Yeah, I mean, it may be somebody like Jake Majors who yeah. uh, decided to come back over the weekend. Uh, guy that uh, has already got his degree, now going to be going to MBA, get his MBA at Texas. Uh, those That would impress a lot of parents, I'm sure. Uh, other other guys, Kelvin Banks is a real possibility. Quinn Ewers would be a uh, obvious choice as well. Uh, just a number of different guys they could do. It all depends. Uh, really, uh, you know, I want to say this about junior days. Um, it's a way to shape the conversation about your school. That was always the plan going back to, to forever. How do I shape the conversation about my school that differentiates me from everybody else so that when I get in these one-on-one -on -one meetings, I can hammer those things home uh, to where they make sense to not only the player, but the player's parents as well. And then we can talk about specifics of how you fit within that culture or within that piece. Well, guys, someone that Longhorn fans are eager to see is Johnny Nansen, the new linebackers uh, coach for the Longhorns that was recently hired. And we're going to do a couple of comments and questions about him. Just the dude says, really looking forward to see who Nansen goes after, especially from the Polynesian side. And then FCJ follows that up with any news on the development of the young linebackers and the development record of our new linebacker coach. And then we'll get into one more Nansen after this one. So I, I've got a little bit of an update on um, him as a uh, as a uh, coach. Uh, but first, I want to go over the uh, idea of where certain players fit, young players fit in the pecking order right now. Leonga LaFau has kind of taken that reign as the next guy up at middle linebacker at this point. Now, he's probably after David Benda, if Benda does indeed come back as expected. Um but he's taking that next step, and he's ahead of Samaj Burrell right now. Uh, Burrell, if you remember, did not come in in the midterm. And that I think that really put him behind the eight ball. It also uh, is meaningful that, that LaFau has been a little bit of a leader in the 2023 recruiting class, is what I'm being told. Doing some things behind the scenes that not everybody wants to do. Uh, it's funny. He's Polynesian, clearly. Uh, uh, CJ talked about that last night, how uh, LaFau applauded Nansen's uh, hire at Texas. Um, that, there's that piece. Darian Gallette on the outside continues to be a name that I get told to watch out for. Now, the, the problem they have here is they haven't really seen him do it enough, but his explosiveness is off the charts and he seems to be picking up football. Like yeah. that was one of the big pieces for him. Uh, coming into Texas wasn't, I mean, he's a 23, 20, 23 foot long jumper at 6'3, whatever he is. Yeah. Um, he's explosive as all get out. He had an ACL tear that he's rehabil rehabilitated. It was never about whether or not he was athletic enough, though, at Texas. It was whether or not he was a football player. Would all of that translate into being a football player? I'm told that they're seeing signs of that now, which means that, frankly, he's on a different level than a lot of guys because his athleticism is as good or better than Anthony Hill. Coming off an ACL, that's huge. I, I, yeah, yeah. That's so, huge. 
from from a young player's perspective, that's one. Nance and CJ, I'll let you touch on his recruiting uh, background, where he's from, and all that stuff for people unaware. Oh yeah, no, Nansen from the West Coast, another West Coast guy adding to this Texas staff that will allow them, you know, really to blow the doors wide open from California to Arizona up to Washington. That's a a very uh, fertile recruiting ground, as we've all become aware of. Sarkeesian, Chris Jackson, Jeff Banks all have ties to that area. Texas is no stranger to going out west to to California, you know, specifically modern day, the Colorados even. Uh, for the the recruiting world, uh, my favorite part of Johnny Nansen really is now the new avenue that you get to scroll down is the Polynesian one. And Texas has, you know, uh, Leon Gullifal and, and Tassili Akana in the in the fold already. It, it now allows them to really venture through uh, an avenue in which they probably didn't have a whole lot of ties into already, aside from just being a territorial California or, or Washington kid. So that's very important. We uh, we talked about the the on field development Washington Arizona took from 2022 to 2023, uh, knocking off an entire touchdown from their scoring ranks uh, last year from 2022. So it, you you can tell he's a, a good teacher of young football players. He gets the most out of them, and I do think that this Texas uh, linebacking core, who I already mentioned for the 2025. Uh, junior days bringing in a whole heavy slew of in-state linebackers is going to be looking at uh, a developer of, of young talent and guys who can come in and expect to get better under Johnny Nance. And I think that's very encouraging with the SEC move uh, set to, you know, finally occur this, this, uh, this upcoming season. CJ, you mentioned Jonah Williams coming in, but Bo Barnes out of Dallas skyline, who I think is just fantastic. Riley Pettijohn also coming in out of McKinney. This could be a uh, – and, of course, uh, you know, already getting the uh, the commitment from the young man from Pearland's Shadow Creek, uh, Anthony Williams last – or Deuce Williams uh, on uh, New Year's Day uh, just a week ago. So all of that mixed together, uh, I think you're looking at a situation where uh, Texas is going to be fine at linebacker. I'm interested to see what he might be able to bring to the table from other positions due to his Polynesian heritage. And that's – you know, I don't you don't want to lean too much on that, but it is an obvious thing that it's nice uh, to have. A, no, it's it's a tight community and that's OK. I mean, but you got to have somebody that can uh, really shepherd that and champion that uh, for them. And hopefully Johnny Nansen is one of those people. All right, guys, we got one other uh, comment from Bobby Vitronic regarding Nansen. I'm going to read. He said, I'm more interested in how Nansen ran his defense at Arizona and what input and help he might offer PK heading into next year. I think his linebacker development and recruiting are a given. You know, you you asked the same question last night. I have not had a chance to really look into it. Uh, I did talk to someone on the Arizona staff. He, he is not expected to call plays at Texas, and he is more front-driven is what I'm being told. So there were some calls made in the secondary that were separate from his calls in the front. He was largely uh, driven by impacting the front, Bobby, is what I'm being told. Then we have a super chat here from Tucker Foster. Thank you, Tucker. And he says, how do you guys value Dorian Singer? Great year at Arizona, then didn't have the year he was wanting at USC. You know, uh, Lincoln Riley prizes speed a little bit over uh, – oversize and 50-50 jump ball uh, ability. 
Singer is more of a 50-50 jump ball guy um, who gets open a little bit because of uh, – um, uh, it, it's not all athleticism with him. Now, he does have ample athleticism. He is a great 50-50 ball catcher. He may even be a 60-40 uh, jump ball guy kind of kind of deal. Uh, had over 1,100 yards receiving as a, as a, in a year ago at Arizona, and then his uh, production at USC fell off precipitously. Um, yeah. And so – I feel like guys like Brennan Rice at, at uh, USC, Mario Williams, those were more guys uh, that uh, kind of fit what Lincoln Riley likes to do on offense, and that's to get people in space. Singer's not necessarily a, a guy that makes people miss in space. Good receiver, though. Don't, you know, don't, you know, <laughs> there's a level here. 1,100-yard receiver is pretty strong. Yeah, I think he realized very quickly the grass isn't always greener elsewhere. Uh, and now that he's back in the portal, he's going to make sure that he does his homework on anybody and everybody that comes his way because it's almost a last chance for him. But like you said, Bobby, 1,100 yards in a single season, it's not something to turn a blind eye to. can clearly play football at a very high level. Okay, guys, this next question here, we've, we've talked about – a lot of these guys are going to the NFL, but we're getting a lot of questions on Quinn Ewers. And so let's jump into that. Dax Kelm says, when do we expect to hear from Ewers? And then once y'all answer that, I'll follow up with some more. I think that you're going to hear from him before January 15th. And I think you're going to hear that he's coming back to the University of Texas. Um, is there a specific date in mind? I think they were working on that uh, as, as long as, I mean, this was back on Thursday or Friday. I, I, look, I don't want to ruin the suspense, uh, but my my take on it's been this way for since October when I or November when I first mentioned it. Uh, he went from almost assuredly going pro uh, in September October to almost assuredly returning in November. Uh, the idea being that he needed more seasoning, more body development, uh, et cetera, and that twenty five game starters uh, in the in the uh, in major college football do ex much, much better than ones that don't uh, start 25 games. Have long They have longer careers, more successful careers, more likely to get a second contract, all of those things if you stay in school just one year longer. Yep. And then this next question about Quinn is from Hervin, and Hervin says, Bobby, besides the deep ball, what would you say is your biggest area of de development for next season? Really two things, uh, using his fastball more uh, and throwing people open. He throws to, he, he, he throws to spots predetermined. He needs to start throwing people open a little bit more. Um, and I say that Sark's offense, for example, that if there would have been a sight adjustment to what Adonai Mitchell and Quinn Ewers saw in the national title game between both Mitchell and yours, it wasn't just on one of them. It was on both of them. There would have been a site adjustment. That would have been a touchdown in Texas. We would be playing for a national championship tonight. So my, my take on it is those two things beyond the other things that we've already talked about, get stronger, get better in the pocket, um, have more pocket sense, uh, get better timing, even quicker than you, you became this year, uh, incrementally improve those things. But big improvements, uh, throw people open uh, and use your fastball more when you need to. Because those windows 
even though you're in Sark's offense, the windows will tighten in the SEC. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think pocket awareness is the biggest key for me. Not taking the self-sacks that we've seen him take uh, sometimes this year. That's the number one thing. I actually think he throws – and his anticipation is fine at times. I think it a little bit too anticipatory, if you will. Uh, in, in that Washington game, it felt like there were three or four passes where he threw it before or, you know, the ball was even past receivers before they even looked back. So that could be a, a bit of a, an adjustment adjustment or a learning curve, you know, moving into year three. But I'm with you on all those points, Bobby, too. And then the million-dollar question that all Texas fans seem to ask. Jerome says, honest question here, based on what you've seen and heard, do you think Arch can compete for the starting job if Quinn does indeed come back? I think he can compete, but I mean, I don't think you turn away a, a four-year quarterback, a third-year starter in the system, a guy who just led your team to a college football playoff appearance. That's not a guy that you'd say don't come back. You know, that, <laughs> I think Quinn Ewers, it's going to be his job, but the competition is exactly uh, what you want. You know, the the conversation is what you want, but it's not going to be what I would consider an actual real competition. I look, I, I I think that he's good enough to compete with anybody in the country. So I'm a little bit different than this. I, I Yes, I think Quinn Ewers is going to be the starter, okay? I think Arch Manning's a special, special player. Uh, and so I'm not I, – I believe fully in Quinn Ewers, 100%. People will take this the wrong way. I think Arch Manning, when he gets reps, when he gets going – He's going to end up being a great player for the University of Texas. It may not be yet next year, but I'm telling you, the the, the, the kid's made of special stuff, in my opinion. All right, y'all. Well, it's time for me to tell everybody out there about Manscaped. And cheers to the new year from our friends at Manscaped. Because your resolutions shouldn't be the only things that are well kept. 2024 is the time for new heights, new opportunities, and a new look for your Times Square balls. Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're looking to maintain a trim or go for that clean, shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. Trusted by over 10 million men worldwide, now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code ONTEXAS for 20% off plus free shipping. Happy New Year's or happy new balls. And introducing the MVP of 2024, fellas, Manscaped's fifth-generation lawnmower. It's not just a trimmer, it's your grooming sidekick. Equipped with two skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. It's like having a personal stylist at your fingertips or, well, wherever you need it. And did I mention it's waterproof? Because a trim in the shower is the only way to start the day. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code ONTEXAS at manscaped.com because nothing says Happy New Year like a deal that leaves your balls and your budget feeling refreshed. Embrace a new you and definitely embrace a new trimmer courtesy of Manscaped. I want to thank them for being the sponsor of today's show. You like it, Bobby? No, I just got, I just got the text of the year from Bob Shipley. Uh-oh. Can you just pay me in Manscaped products? <laughs> we got you covered, Bob. We got you covered with the Manscaped 5.0 right here. 
Oh, I man. give up, my man. I give up. It's all fun. Oh, Bob. All right, guys. Well, uh, we got. We're going to move on here to some other questions. We're getting a lot of questions about Malik Ogbo, so let's start there. And look, I'm not even. I don't know how to say that, but he says, "Do you think Ogbo will make a permanent move to tight end?" Would that be surprising to you? You know, the, the CJ. The one thing I go back to the first time I saw Malik Ogbo in person, he weighed 340 pounds. I mean, he was a he was overweight, looked a little sloppy, but you know what? His first step was as good as anybody's on the team at offensive guard. It really was. You could tell his quickness. He just didn't have any um, uh, sustainability in it, right? Now he's down to, what, 280? Is that right? Um, he played tight end in seven-on-seven, seven, even at 340 pounds. So it's not like he's not athletic. He did catch a ball in the, uh, in the, the Washington game. I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a – full-time answer there, but he's looking more and more like a bonus tight end as opposed to an offensive guard, right? I mean, he really, he shaped up his body. He could literally be that guy, I mean, that we're not really talking about. I I, I think that's a fair assessment on an inline tight end, CJ. I mean, you know, push him with Gunnar Helm and maybe all of a sudden you've got two guys instead of just uh, one right now that we know is ready to go. Juan Davis. Um, Juan Davis, by the way, had initially put himself into the portal, uh, the backup tight end uh, out of Everman. He announced that he's actually returning to Texas uh, over the weekend. So uh, he will be a backup tight end for uh, Gunnar Helm. Uh, I agree that, that Ogbo has been recruited over at the position, at the interior line position, guys. I do think there's there may be a role if he could get down to 265, 270, and maintain the quickness. I could see him as an inline tight end easily. He's quick for his size. He's quick. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. CJ, you're, you're, you're muted, buddy. Oh, the like the, the athleticism is huge, like you said, but the the seven on seven clips are really what gets you excited. I know it's a, a a big trust process for for coaching staffs, especially you know offensive coordinators to to trust throwing footballs to what was really offensive linemen for his entire career. That's that's going to be a big bridge to cover right there. That's not necessarily something you'll see a lot of guys willing to throw into their playbook because I mean, it's, it's one of those things you've been blocking your entire career, but with Agbo, it's a little different. You know, he does have that seven on seven history. He 
clearly had a catch against Washington in the Sugar Bowl. I don't know. It, it's an interesting thing to ponder over because there's not many guys with a willingness to go hit somebody in a background to do so like Agbo does at the position. So if that's something that you can throw in and add a wrinkle to in your offense, it kind of makes sense. They don't do it in the national semifinal if they don't have some confidence in it. Right. Right. That's the biggest uh, and so stage. And- I will, I will say this, uh, Lola, I think Lola is the one that, that, that brought this up. And even uh, Bobby Petronic talked about it a little bit there about being recruited. I'm not so sure that he's not a bigger piece of the puzzle than what maybe we've been contemplating this entire time. I've kind of, I've never even mentioned him when I talk about the tight end position um, before. And I think I need to rethink that a little bit. Not, yeah, not I'm a ton. Not- I'm not saying he's, he's the answer. He is a part of the answer. And I've kind of been not even giving him any part of that answer, potentially. Yeah, he's rocking number 80 for a reason. You yeah, know? <laughs> that's true. No, I think I think he's going to be an inline tight end. Let's talk about some more offensive linemen. And E. Kim says, does Neto and Cam Williams break into the starting OL for 2024? One of the two for sure. Yep. Uh the two things that I would bring up is what I'm hearing is going to happen on the offensive line at this point for spring. Now, Kyle Flood, granted, tinkers like every offensive line coach does to see what his best grouping is. My understanding is that Hayden Connor is going to move out to right tackle to compete with Cam Williams this spring. Okay. All right. At left guard, Cole Hudson and Neto Amiozulu will go at it. Okay. At center, Cole Hudson will be backing up, uh, backing up uh, uh, Jake Majors as well as Connor Robertson. Okay. Cole Hudson will also be, be uh, embroiled in a battle of sorts at right guard with DJ Campbell. Okay. So there's a lot of different, you know, mutating pieces at play. A couple of things. One, they love Cam Williams. They want to make sure Cam Williams is mentally sound on his assignments because he is a man-eater in the offensive front. I mean, he absolutely destroys people. So as long as he gets everything down, no pre-snap penalties, that sort of stuff, his issue, and that's that was his issue when he was in uh, because he absolutely killed Kansas State in the run game when he played for Christian Jones. Absolutely. He's a better run blocker right now than Christian Jones, in my opinion. And that's saying a lot because Christian Jones is more of a run blocker than he is a pass protector right now, okay? But Christian Jones makes a lot fewer mental errors uh, as it would be uh, there, and they can trust him more protecting the quarterback. Okay, Neto, the the thing that I keep hearing here, um, and what I was told is if he practices like he did the last three weeks, not only leading into uh, the uh, Texas Tech game uh, and the Oklahoma State game, but during the Sugar Bowl practice, if he practices like that, he's not going to have to find a place. They're going to find him a place on the offensive line. Let's, I mean, there's a lot of talent there, guys. Uh, they, they go seven to eight deep, maybe even nine next year uh, with good quality players that are going to push one another. Um, and the end result is, I, I guarantee you, Kyle Flood and in two years is going to look up and have seven or six or seven of these guys drafted. That's what's going to happen. Even in guys that were three-year backups are going to end up drafted because they are that talented. 
you had Trevor Goosby, Jaden Chapman to that group, maybe even Connor Stroh, um, young guy like Brandon Baker coming in, Daniel Cruz. That The offensive line is – I don't know that it's the strongest part of the team next year. I think it could be after three years of – or after, excuse me, 15 years essentially in the wilderness. You know, you've had Sam Cosby and Connor Williams and Trey Hopkins and guys like that, Kent Perkins. Uh, but it's been a difficult 15 years for Texas. That that Kyle Flood has just flipped that. I mean, it's it's getting ready to be a team strength in his fourth year at Texas. That just says so much. Well, let's jump over to the other side of the football, guys. And Miguel Gonzalez says, will the pass rush next season be better or the same next season? Where do you think it ranks in the SEC? It's a tough question in terms of the broad approach to the SEC. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where we still have to flip the switch from, you know, going up and grading Texas in terms of Big 12 teams to now the SEC. So we'll get a little clearer vision, you know, obviously as the portal winds down and things, you know, spring football comes around for that perspective, at least I will. But I do think that the pass rush will improve from what we saw this year. Texas is returning uh, Baron Sorrell. Ethan Burke, adding Colin Simmons, Justice Finkley returns as well, and obviously Trey Moore. You know, these are all guys who you expect to see uh, a, a true improvement off the edges uh, to getting to the quarterback. If Texas lands Jamar Caldwell as well, this is a guy who had six and a half sacks. Alfred Collins in the interior as well as a disruptor. I don't think there's a way there where the sack numbers decrease next year. There is a way. It's just they don't live up to what they, they should, but – on paper right now, there should be a, a a fine improvement from this year that we saw to next year with all these guys returning and all of the uh, additions as well. So I love what the Texas pass rush unit could be in 2024. I think it could be a pretty solid group. I also think it could be a group that, you know, generally speaking, could be a strength of the Texas defense given the talent and the production and guys returning. So that's encouraging to me, but obviously you have to go see it on the field. But right now I lean – that the numbers will be better in the sacks, the pressures, and, uh, you know, the, the negative plays behind the line of scrimmage from that unit. I don't know. I, I don't know if they've done it. I, Trey Moore helps. Colin Simmons help helps. Um, but the loss of Sweat and Murphy on the interior uh, just concerns me. I don't know if they'll be better. They'll have more edge presence, but will it be a better pass rush because they're not getting enough up the middle? I mean, I, I don't know. And then Todd Lacey says, based on what you know about the current roster, who do you feel their projected starters in the secondary next season? Let me ask you, is Jade Barron coming back or not? <laughs> that, that would be my first question. If Jade Barron comes back, I'm not so sure the secondary isn't better next year. Like, much better. Um. Uh, if Barron comes back, you could move either Barron or Makuba to safety, uh, sit him alongside either Taffy or Williams or both, Derek Williams, or one of the young guys coming in like Xavier Filsamy. And then at corner, you have Muhammad uh, and Terrence Brooks, Manny Muhammad, Terrence Brooks, as well as Gavin Holmes. That's seven, six, seven deep of quality players. Um, that's if Jade Barron comes back. If Jade Barron does not come back, and plus, Jody Barron knows the defense, by the way. And if he stays at star, he's one of the guys that can kind of direct things and help get things going. 
and take on new responsibilities, perhaps. Uh, if PK wants to mess with the defense and tinker with it a little bit, if he goes, it's a little bit different because you're losing. I mean, you're losing three years of starting experience is what you're losing. And so there's a there's a re um, reteaching as opposed to an expansion of ideas, which I think Jody Barron would give them in the secondary. And then Her, uh, Hervin here, he says, we will get a better look once spring comes around. But how do you think we match up against Georgia next season? That's a loaded question. I am, how, how, do you, how do you match up against the team that has 35 or 40 NFL players? <laughs> All right, I mean, CJ, what do you I, – look, I love their – I love Georgia's team. I love what they, they've done with their roster. Uh, they do lose some at receiver. They lose, you know, an all-world tight end. Um, but – you know, they replace guys pretty easily. They've, they've done that over time at uh, Georgia. Uh, what do you know about Georgia's roster and how does Texas stack up there? Well, you said 35 or 40 NFL guys. How many do you see Texas having right now? You know, 25 to 30 over. Okay. Over so not from a talent perspective, I wouldn't say it's a tremendous drop off. It's obviously a big step up from where Texas was even in 2018 when they, the two teams played. Yeah. So, I, I do think there are strengths of Texas that will show up. Obviously, the offensive line is one that we've talked about. That is a, a, a area where teams don't play close against Georgia if that's not a strength of a team. Uh, I, I think that's something Texas is you know, fortunate enough to step into this SEC's first season with four out of five offensive linemen returning. Uh, and a fifth, or you know, whether it be Can out, out wide, who is a guy I really have high hopes for. So I'm eager to see that. I'm also looking over the Georgia portal entries this year because they got hit pretty hard by the portal. They lost some depth. They lost some adult depth. They did. And I I know it's Georgia, so the the reloading will be there. The talent will always be there. I think they're, what, number one in the country in recruiting already. But that quality depth is something that, you know, Texas necessarily wasn't hit too hard by. And I think that could be a – I don't want to say advantage because Georgia does have a tremendous amount of talent already on the roster right now, but Texas is not necessarily going to be as young in certain aspects of the team as Georgia will be. But again, it's, it's Georgia. You know, this has been the gold standard for college football over the last three years, taking that title from Alabama, if you will. Uh, So it's, I don't know, it's going to have a clear picture after spring football, but if you're going to be in that conversation with Georgia, that's going to have to be a game you have to compete and play very close with. It's not an unwinnable game, first of all. So don't nobody take this the wrong way. But they're going to come in and, and they're going to look like a college football team is supposed to look. That's that Texas fans are going to say, okay, we look pretty good. Georgia, you look really good. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we'll. We'll see how that all all pans out. Uh, I, I the, think that, uh, they've got some dudes on that roster. Probably be a, a a competition between the two best quarterbacks in the SEC as well. Yeah, so yeah. not just the positions everywhere else, but Quinn Ewers and Carson Beck going head to head. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be worth the price of admission, however much that might be. Uh, maybe not the hotels that weekend, but you know that <laughs> ticket price will be a lot of fun. That that'll be that'll be a good game. It's clear that the SEC knew nothing about uh, uh, F1 because my understanding about this is that the Georgia fans are all upset. It's the same weekend. Be. 
Yeah, it's the same weekend as F1 in Austin. And the thing about F1, it, it brings people in from around the world. And it's five, uh, four or five days of racing or, or three days of racing. But people come in and they, they literally come in on Thursday or Wednesday and stay through Sunday. And so hotel packages in Austin are asking for at least a minimum of a four-night stay a lot of places. And so Georgia fans are like, what? I mean, we this is our first trip to a big city other than Nashville ever um, for, for a uh, conference game, and this is what's going to happen. Uh, so that that is a reality that Georgia fans are going to have to face. There may not be as many people, as many Georgia fans as you might think uh, in that game because of, of uh, the hotel scarcity at this point. Yeah. All right, Bobby, before we move on, tell everybody out there about John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Longhorn Wealth desires to serve all Longhorns and their loved ones by providing them with the best in life, disability, and long-term care insurance solutions uh, to ensure a protected and successful financial future for all of you and your families. Uh, So for a free 90-minute consultation to explore how Longhorn Wealth can serve you and your loved ones, please give John Donovan and his team a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. That's longhornwealth.net. We appreciate John and his sponsorship of On on Texas Football and Coffee and Football. And then we've had a lot of people join since the beginning of the show, so let's rehash a lot of the news today. We'll start with the visitors that Texas hosted over the weekend. Bobby, I'll let you start. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, big news here was, uh, and I'll, I'll start the ticker scroll for, for people who haven't seen it yet. Uh, Texas hosted two official visitors over the weekend. Houston defensive lineman Jamari Caldwell, Liberty wide receiver uh, uh, C.J. Daniels. Caldwell, I am told, had a tremendous visit at Texas and is down to Texas and Oregon. Uh, he is on the cusp of making a decision. Could it be in the next two hours, 48 hours? Whatever, anything is possible here. Uh, He is perhaps the number one prospect on the board for Texas at the defensive tackle position. He's the one that they've kind of uh, zeroed in on and want a lot. He lists at 6'1", 325. CJ thinks he's bigger than that. He's told people he's bigger than that. The reality of it is, is he would be a key piece of this recruiting puzzle for Texas because, you know, look, there's no excuse to be young anymore in college football. Our friend Jerry Hamilton says that all the time. With the with the transfer portal, there's absolutely no uh, no part of that that is allowable. You know, um, as far as the other uh, wide receiver that came in or the other player that came in, C.J. Daniels, he visited uh, Auburn on Friday, Florida on Saturday, then Texas on Sunday. Texas also has offered Silas Borden a wide receiver out of Oregon State who caught 55 balls this year. They're also looking at LeJonte Wester out of Florida Atlantic, Dorian Singer out of USC. And then you have tight end Ben Urasik out of Stanford. That's a new name to watch. Longhorn's very busy in the portal. Uh, as far as other news, Johnny Nansen was hired over the weekend as linebackers coach. He's the defensive former defensive coordinator at the University of Arizona. Jatavian Sanders, the tight end, decided to go pro. Uh, we wish him nothing but the best. He gave everything he had for the university the last two years. I think everybody's proud of him. And I, personally, I think it's the right move to go get go go get paid. Uh, he, he did a great job for Texas. Time for Steve Sarkeesian and his staff 
to find the next piece. Uh, and then we're waiting really on Jade Barron, uh, the uh, defensive back uh, who many thought was headed to the NFL for almost assuredly already accepted a senior bowl invite. But now CJ says he's 50-50 based on what he's hearing. I'm hearing similar thoughts as well. So uh, that should that should catch you up on all the news. Uh, you had some other uh, other information, CJ? Yeah, Texas is obviously active in the wide receiver portal market right now. Another name that we haven't touched on just yet is Bryson Rogers, the freshman wide receiver at Ohio. He tells me he will get a visit either situated today or, uh, you know, move on from Texas. So a decision on whether or not to visit Texas will be coming down today. He tells me Texas has been wanting to get him down to campus for an official visit as well. So there is interest in the 6'2 wide receiver from Florida who uh, spent his freshman season up at Ohio State. I'm not sure if he recruited uh, any uh, statistics or not, any receptions, anything along the lines of that. But a 6'2 wide receiver, a bit different from uh, LeJonte Wester or even uh, the Oregon State wide receiver as well, Silas Bolden. So uh, a bigger body, similar in the same, uh, sense of C.J. Daniels. But he has been being recruited by the Texas staff. They do want him down on campus. Uh, and we'll see, you know, later today, should he decide if a Texas visit will be in the plans or not. He doesn't fit Texas as well as others from this one perspective, production. That's where Bryson Rogers doesn't fit like a Wester who had over a thousand yards receiving Silas Bolden, similar sort of category, CJ Daniels, uh, similar sort of category. He doesn't add to the um, adults in the room. He's more like Jonte Cook in that he's unproven in large part. He actually has less experience than Jonte Cook. So I, right. if I'm a betting man, I bet while Texas may bring him in, they may bring him in as a prospect more, as, more than as a true transfer guy. All right, guys, we're going to move on here. We got a super chat from Kabir. Thank you, Kabir. He says, does Quinn Ewers coming back affect KJ Lacey's decision? Well, you talked to KJ last night, Blake. What do you think? I, I don't think so. I, I I don't think so at all. Um, I mean, it might be in the back of his mind, but I don't see it playing now. Okay. So I, I think the, the worry was obviously that Quinn coming back delays potentially Lacey's on-field play and timing that that was a concern that was uh, voiced uh, you said that auburn you told us earlier uh in this this broadcast auburn oregon bama and texas a&m still going hard pretty hard after yep. kj lacy at this time yeah the hands down he said those are the four uh schools that are recruiting him the hardest that are still coming at him you know day in and day out pretty much but once again he did say 100 committed to texas not going anywhere and trying to get ryan williams uh, to, to switch here in a few weeks. Uh, so your understanding too is he he's not only coming in. So you also had some news as it relates to KJ Lacey. He's not just visiting once on Junior Day. He's actually visiting twice. Yes. Did he explain why he's coming in this coming weekend? I literally, he's supposed to come in this Friday or Saturday, I guess. And then on the twenty seventh, did did he give further explanation on that? No, no, he didn't really go in into depth on why this weekend versus, you know, junior day weekend. Um, so I, I'm not sure what the reasoning is behind that. But, you know, he was very adamant that he would for sure be here this upcoming weekend and then take the following weekend off and then come straight back with Ryan Williams. So maybe it was something he had already set in stone. 
I, I'm not sure on that. I'd follow up on that and see if we can get some more details. Good, good stuff. I, I think it's encouraging. He's coming back twice. Yeah, you know the one one of the follow the follow the the uh, breadcrumbs is one of the games you play in recruiting sometimes. And a guy making two visits in three weeks—that's a good—that's a good sign. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, guys, we have a couple of questions about Coach Sark. And so let's get to them. Hookham from OKC says, good morning from Oklahoma City. What areas do y'all think Sark needs to work on to be a better head coach? Thanks in advance. Loaded question here, OKC. <laughs> um, man. I... You, CJ, if you have something, go for it. I, I'm I, I'm a little reticent here because I thought he just had a whale of a year in 2023. I mean, I thought so too. I I didn't think there was necessarily one aspect of the game that stood out as a as a glaring weakness for him. I did think there were moments where you know some I don't I don't want to call it game management kind of kind of questionable at times, but it wasn't to the point where I thought it was a, a clear weakness, you know? Right. I, I, I think there's a big fuss after the Oklahoma game where I thought the clock could have been managed a little bit differently, but that was also to the point where Texas probably doesn't get down the field as, you know, seamlessly as they do if they don't go fast. If they if if they stall, if they allow Oklahoma's defense to rest, they, they probably don't get down the field with as much efficiency. So, uh, I don't know if game management or, or, or understanding of the clock is is something that could be improved upon. I think every coach could really, having watched some of these NFL guys, I, I think uh, a, a true understanding of the clock is always, you know, something you can improve upon. But I didn't think Sarkeesian was a negative in any of these aspects. You know, uh, I, maybe uh, a third quarter approach. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I was thinking, so I, I'm glad that you had to to fill some air there while I kind of stewed on this answer. Um, for uh, Seriously, I mean, because that's a very deep question. Um, I would say this, I, you know, I felt like he could have asserted himself more on the other side of the ball more often than he did. Okay. But he did later in the season. He said, we've got to be more aggressive. What happens? A week later, they're more aggressive. He's taken a, He takes a hands-off approach with a lot of his coaches. Not completely hands-off, not like free reign, but he lets them do their jobs. I think he, he decided, okay, look, we got to go challenge these guys. And when they started playing teams that didn't have the receivers, he went after them a little bit. And I don't know if that was all PK, or Sark kind of saying, hey, we need to get after these guys a little bit more and actually influencing that. And so when I think about what he needs to do, um, red zone inefficiency, I mean, has that been a problem his entire career at Texas? It hasn't really been a problem his entire career. It was more of a problem this year. So in the offseason, I think he's going to look at red zone uh, and I think he's going to look at, uh, you know, probably some other pieces as, as far as it relates to wide receiver play. and I mean, but really the biggest takeaway from this year is keep keep the train moving in the right direction. Keep it on the tracks. Keep building the culture. Keep adding the right pieces. 
get better in the red zone. That's that's one of it. The other things I think he's addressing or has addressed and can and and that look, that's one of the reasons I think I'm so high on the Texas program. He's shown some adaptability. Two years ago, we were all worried about the run run defense. Last year, we're worried about the team cratering, the offense cratering in the third quarter. You know, now we're worried about whether or not you go to the national championship game. So he's I do have one. There's been some there's been some uh improvement here. I, I do have one that has come to me as as you were filling air there. I was yeah, yeah. thinking <laughs> and I'm glad this is how this works, but I think the understanding of when to be aggressive in games, when to not just take the points, when to go for it. That was something the fake field goal against Houston with the opportunity to go up by 24 kind of changed the entire momentum of that game Uh, against Kansas state. There were two uh, red zone, I guess uh, uh, possessions that Texas could have added points on to go up by 28, go up by 24, whatever it might've been. Texas goes for it on fourth down. They get the the red cap fumble. Uh, They, they go for it again later on interception, whatever it is. I, I think there are times where, in games like that, where you know you are you have a pretty good lead, just continue to build. Turn a three possession lead into a four possession lead. You know, take that extra possession and allow yourself to be aggressive further down the road, rather than not having that extra. You know, kind of step up on the ladder over your opponent. So that to me is a spot where Texas, I thought, got a little bit too cute at times this year. Um, specifically against Houston because that changed the entire complexity of the football game. Uh, Kansas State as well. I think it's it's kind of a nuanced thing, but that is the progression. And I I never want to knock Sarkeesian for being aggressive because I think that's a big staple of what he is and how he coaches football. But in those instances, especially against Kansas State, where you know you're playing a top 25 opponent with a backup quarterback, continue to build possessions on the football field, on the scoreboard, I think that's, you know, kind of the understanding of the situation at hand. Man, I, I think you just got a bunch of people nodding their head in agreement. You, bridle the the aggressiveness, right? A racehorse needs to have some bride, bride uh, needs to have some brains at times. So bridle the aggressiveness and point it in the right direction. I, I think everybody could agree with that. I think Steve Sarkeesian might say sometimes he wish he, he could get, get that back, right? Yeah. I even recall the BYU game. Where they they kick yeah. a, they kick a field goal and go up by three scores, this game's over because yeah. BYU was helpless on offense. Not that BYU was ever going to do that, uh, you know. So I, I think those are those are interesting. Better third and fourth, third and fourth down short calls, yeah, all good stuff, guys. I think there's a lot of little things, but y'all asked for macro, and I I think we probably hit it, you know. Sark leaning into becoming a better head coach overall, the aggressiveness, some good stuff. And then we'll do one more Sark uh, related question. Uh, Bobby Brown says, what kind of extension and raise do you think Sark gets? Five and 10, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Five years, 10 million a year. I'm guessing that's what Jimmy Sexton is calling Chris Del Conte about right now. You know, there are some nuances to Sark's contract that they're trying to get through as well. Uh, but I, I believe this is going to be a, a slam dunk. Uh, Texas wants uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. And Steve Sarkeesian wants to be at Texas. I think he feels he's starting to, to see what he is building and creating on his own. 
And I think that as a coach, there is no more fulfilling thing than that. Uh, because you want to see yourself create something. Um, you go to the NFL, you're not really, you're, you're taking over. It's not a creation process. Uh, college football can be a creation process where you create something for yourself and then, you know, reap the rewards and benefits of it for a decade to come. That's the difference between the NFL and college football and why a Nick Saban is Nick Saban or Kirby Smart is going to end up being his next 10 years at Georgia are going to look pretty. Anybody want to bet against him right now? I don't. You know, and, and that's what Steve Sarkeesian wants. Whereas if the NFL happens and your quarterback goes down or you don't have a quarterback, good luck. By the way, congratulations to the Cowboys and the Houston Texans. I want to say that. There you go. Blake, we got to talk about, the, look, national championships tonight. Yeah, I was actually going to bring it up. I, I know we've got all this stuff going on, but it's on ESPN. Uh, who do y'all have in this game? I'm t- I'm going with Michigan. I think they're just going to be able to basically um, – I think they're going to be more uh, determined to run and be more successful in base runs than maybe Texas could be. They have those guys up front that I think just are difference makers. And Washington uh, – the one thing I will say about Michigan also, they have a corner – that is a first round corner that Texas didn't have. So there are times where they might be able to actually eliminate a Dunze in, in man coverage. Texas couldn't do that. Right. Cause I don't think Texas has a first round corner. Um, I, I'm going Michigan probably by about 10 points here. Uh, what do you think CJ and Blake? I, I'll be pulling for Washington. Um, <laughs> But my ticket for that last game in, in, in New Orleans was actually in the Washington section. My best friend from high school played for Washington. So I've, I've had a soft spot for them for quite a while now. Uh, unfortunate, obviously, that the two, you know, Texas and Washington had to play against one another. But I will be pulling for Washington. I, I think their only hope really is to air it out and let Penix try and replicate what we saw against Texas. Um, if Michigan's smart – you know, they're, they're going back to the well with that running game and, and really just, you know, we saw Texas have success at over six yards a clip on the ground. Michigan, in my opinion, has a bit of a stronger running game. They're more committed to the running game specifically. They've relied on the running game, I, I think, against Penn State where they closed out ball games with 25 straight running rushing attempts. If they do that against Washington, I'm not sure Washington has the dogs up front to get off the field. You know, this is something I think that they could sim- simply just – sit back and say, hey, it's the 1940s again. We're going to throw or we're going to run the football every single play. And there's not a thing that you could do about it. So that's kind of where I, I, I agree with you, Bobby. I think Michigan will have the advantage in the trenches. Will they be able to get enough pressure on Penix? I thought Texas was able to get a, a little bit of pressure on them. They couldn't bring them down ever. Uh, but that's going to be the biggest issue. If Penix stands upright and is able to sit back and pick where he wants to throw the football, we saw it, you know, just a week ago. I don't think it matters who will be in that secondary because he's that good of a passer of the football to get guys open, to find guys who will, you know, make plays after the catch. So I, I, I lean with you. I think Michigan will win the football game. I think they're a better football team, but I'll be pulling for the Huskies. And I got Mich- – I'm, I'm with both of you. Michigan, I think, wins this one uh, five, six points, somewhere in there. I think it'll be a close game pretty much throughout, but – 
that corner, like you said, Bobby, first round pick, he's good. He's really good. He will be tested tonight, obviously, but I, I think he'll be up to it. I will say this. Uh, if you want a negative for Michigan, uh, if Washington gets out to a fast start. Correct. That's been, that has been Michigan's uh, Achilles heel. And that's what happened against TCU last year. Got out to a fast start. Michigan couldn't stay with the run long enough to come back and win that game. Yeah, a shootout doesn't bode well for them at all. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. And that, that's what TCU did to Michigan, right? Is get them on their heels early. But that, a that testament to Michigan, how often do you see them in a game like that? You know, that's they kind of dictate how games are played, and that's that's what good teams do. I, I want to say this. What a, what a pity that Texas isn't in this football game. I, I mean, what would Houston be like right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the orange in that city? Wow. <laughs> no Darn. doubt about that. All right, guys, we got time for just another question or two, then we got to get out of here. Bobby, I got to answer this one real quick because Tyler has asked the last few days and I've yeah. not been able to get to it. Any thoughts on the upcoming UT baseball season? I'm doing a deep dive into the team right now, but honestly, the potential to be one of Pierce's best, in my opinion, very intriguing with uh, LBJ and then Tanner Witt coming back. And then, of course, Porter Brown is, in my opinion, one of the top five senior players in the nation. The problem is going to be the schedule. They face like four, five, top seven, top eight teams somewhere in there. So we'll learn a lot about Texas right off the bat. Then, of course, I think it'll be them and TCU that fights for first place in the Big 12. Hey, for those unaware, I'm going to, Blake, I need a, I need a, uh, I need to uh, uh, pat you on the back a little bit. Blake's son is a ninth grader. Is that right, Blake? Yeah. He's what now? A freshman. Yes, sir. Yeah. He's a ninth grader, going to be a 10th grader. He's a baseball player who's already being recruited. Uh, so Blake is Blake is a, as you can see by his card collection behind <laughs> him, is a uh, major baseball fan. So he will be uh, keeping an eye on the Longhorns this year. That's right. All right, guys, we're going to end this one with uh, talking about another school. And uh, Kabir says, did the LSU coordinator change – did they change the market by giving their defensive coordinator two and a half million a year? How does that impact Texas school, Texas coordinators, if at all? Um, you know, I've, I've heard of two million a year for a coordinator, so I don't think it changed the market. I think it's top of the market. I don't necessarily think it changed the market. And, you know, they, they hired a guy away from Missouri that was good. Blake Baker that used to be a GA at the University of Texas. Blake, you know, you remember him. Yep. Um, from his time there. I, I, I think that um, I look at it uh, as not so much uh, a, a situation where Texas has to outdo people because Pete Kwiatkowski is already well compensated. He's in the upper ones, I believe. Uh, Kyle, Fl Texas has three assistants, I think, making over more than a million a year. Uh, Bo Davis, Jeff Banks, Kyle Flood, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski. You know, that that is not changing. And Texas is not going to be left behind uh, as it relates to that. Okay, guys. Well, before we get out of here, Bobby, is there anything Texas fans need to be aware of? Then, of course, what's coming on later today right here on On Texas Football? Well, absolutely. Uh, first of all, we're waiting on Jamari Caldwell to see if he does anything. Young man out of uh, the University of Houston. He was on campus this weekend uh, visiting with Bo Davis. Spent a couple days. Spent the night, Saturday night. All right. All right. Came uh, was on campus all day yesterday. 
waiting to see if he actually makes a decision today, tomorrow, in the next 48 hours or so. That's something we're waiting on. Also, we have talking ball with CJ uh, and Rod Babers later today. Uh, they're going to address some of these topics, uh, particularly as it relates to the secondary and what Jade Barron may or may not do. And frankly, that's another thing we're waiting on is the other shooter drop on Jade Barron. That could have a fundamental significant difference for Texas in 2024. Okay, guys, well, we want to thank all of you for tuning in. Got to thank John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group, of course, for sponsoring today's show, along with Manscaped. Thank you for all the super chats. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button and then ring the bell so you're notified anytime and every time a video is posted right here on On Texas Football. And for CJ Vogel and Bobby Burton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. CJ, you with Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.